Let me see you put them up Reach the sky, touch the stars up above Cause it's one time for the underdog One time for the underdog if you don't like paying taxes, I would highly recommend you listen to this entire podcast. I know a lot of people that complain, I cannot believe I'm paying all these taxes. I wish I was paying less taxes, but they don't do the proper due diligence to position themselves better. I'm sitting down with Arthur Laffer, the founder of Laffer Curve, the economist, the advisor to Ronald Reagan, to Bush, to Schwarzenegger, and many other people. You will not want to miss this episode here if you don't like paying too much taxes. I decided to not just go to somebody who knows this stuff very well, I decided to go to the person that you know, has been doing this for decades, has a lot of experience in it, and let me kind of give you some of the things he's been a part of. One, uh, March 29, 1999, Time Magazine did a cover saying the century's greatest minds, I think Einstein was on the cover, he was one of the names listed in that magazine. LA Times did an article, it was called The Dozens That Changed the 80s, and he was one of the dozen that was on the list. Bachelor's degree from Yale, PhD from Stanford, and he was the advisor, one of the economic advisors to President Reagan for two terms, and he's been involved with a lot of different people, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jack Kemp, so many different names. And so today, if you've heard the name Laffer Curve, today we're meeting with the person, Arthur Laffer. So Arthur, thank you so much you. for making the you, time to be here with us. I don't know why, but I get so excited talking about taxes, and I want to get educated today. So I know this is some boring stuff, but we're going to make it exciting. So It's not boring, but it, it's terrifying. Can, can you tell the people out there that are watching this, you know, the entrepreneur, the business owner that's watching this, why is it so important for me as the entrepreneur to take a couple minutes or maybe an hour or two and study how these taxes are going to affect me and my business moving forward? Well, a couple things. Taxes are a huge portion of total output production incomes. I mean, federal taxes as a share of GDP are about 20%, maybe 22% at pertinent times. Also, state and local taxes are right in that same range. Now, this is just total taxes, but the key here for taxes, that, from my standpoint, is economics is all about incentives. And taxes change incentives. Uh, if you tax something, you're going to get less of it. If you subsidize something, you're going to get more of it. So when you look at taxes, you say, you ask yourself the question, why do we tax people who work and pay people who don't work? You know, you can understand that we tax speeders to get them to stop speeding. We tax smokers to get them to stop smoking. Mm -hmm. Well, why then do we tax people who earn income? Why do we tax people who employ other people? Why do we tax businesses that make wonderful products at very low cost? And we do that basically to get the revenues to run government. But don't for a second believe that those same effects that they happen on smoking and happening on speeders happen exactly the same there. So that's why entrepreneurs look at this to see how they can align their incentives because people work to get paid after tax, not pre-tax. And I've heard you say in the past before, you said you cannot tax an economy into prosperity, which I think is a very powerful statement, you, a quote of yours. But Arthur, before you become who you become, real quick background, how did Arthur Laffer become Arthur Laffer? Well, I don't know how I did mommy and daddy, but, but they, uh, whatever they did, yeah, they did. Yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah, we don't want to go there. We don't want to go there. Mommy, that's daddy, my, phenomenal job. That's my, that's my one area. Well, apparently, stay away you're from. pretty good at it as well with six kids and 13 yeah, well, grandkids and what, four great Three, great, three, three great, great, great. Yeah, pretty good. The <laughs> fun. You know, I went, my dad went to Yale. Both my brothers went to Yale. I went to Yale. At Yale, I, I didn't do really well through junior year. Um, and so I took a year off. I went to the University of Munich. I was a math major. 
and there I encountered economics and I loved it and I came back and that changed my life so I became a Did you say Munich? Munich, yes. Got it. Uh, The University of Munich back then, the 61, 63 period. Came back, graduated from Yale, then went to Stanford um, and it's all sort of history there. My first job was at the University of Chicago uh, where I went through all the ranks at Chicago and then I came back to USC you know USC there. Yes, of course. I was Big Char- business school. I was, yeah. I was the Charles B. Thornton professor there. And when that ended, uh, you know, I, whatever happened. So when did you get a call from the president, especially, you know, with Reagan? How did that I happen? Went, I, 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 well, with Reagan, it was, it was very early. My, I should tell, every, I tell everyone that Reagan picked me out of a whole lineup of economists. That's not true. Uh, the truth is my godfather was his best friend. Justin Got Dart. It. It's always nice to get something through privilege rather than no, actually it's, it's humbling for you to say that because most people probably wouldn't say something like that. For you to say that. Well, it's true. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, it's unfortunately I'm true. You. But that's how it happened with Reagan. But I was in the White House before Reagan. I was in the White House from 1970 to 72. I was George Shultz's right hand person when he was made head of the OMB. I was the first chief economist at the OMB. So that was my first political experience. I was in Brookings before that, which is quasi government. Uh, so, you know, I've been involved with this stuff for a long, long time. So, so let me ask you this. Is it okay if we tell them what you just told me, who you voted for? Is it okay? Are sure, you yeah, okay. No, that's fine. So you voted, you're Kennedy. You're, you're a big fan of what Kennedy was doing, minus the unions. Two times you voted for Bill Clinton. Yes, I did. And that's, that's a complete different side. And so politically, you voted both sides because your main focus has always been economics. economics. That's it. So we're not talking any pro-life, pro-choice, social issues. We're not covering anything. We're purely talking math today. That's it. And I don't talk about these other topics because obviously I'm not an expert. If you want the economy taken care of, I'm your guy. Perfect. So if you want abortions taken care of, I, there's that's a doctor around here somewhere. No problem. No <laughs> okay? problem. Okay. Forgive me for that, but I, but I never answer questions on other issues. And, and I appreciate that. And I appreciate that. So for me, a uh, uh, little background with you, a family side. I, I grew up a mother's side communist and imperialist on my father's side. So I was always curious to know how these economics worked. Lived in Iran 10 years, 2 years, Germany, and came out of here. So I'm always curious well, to Where do you live in Germany? Uh, I lived in Erlangen. Okay, I know Erlangen. I know Erlangen. I lived in Munich, of course. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, let me tell you, Germany to me was, I had a great time in Germany. I did too. I don't know why. <laughs> I just had a phenomenal loved, time in Germany. I love Germany. I, I got the award of being the alumni of the year from the University of Munich oh, four or five years ago, the Muller Award. And I had to give my lecture in, in English because I, I can't. Did you, did you change it? Because you, you got a sense well, of English. Well, I, I, no, I used to be able to speak fluently. I mean, it was like my mother tongue. But that, without speaking it for 60 years, it's. You lose it. Okay. So how about we get into it? So let's start off with what's that, you know, right over there, something that everybody talks about around the world. And by the way, if you don't know this, I was talking to a friend of mine, Byron Udell, who's a very, very successful uh, uh, CEO, entrepreneur, runs a big business out of Chicago himself. And we were talking. I said, so tell me about what are your thoughts about Arthur Laffer? He says, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you're sitting down with Arthur Laffer. You know, I had one time an opportunity to meet with Forbes, and, you know, we talked about what's happening with business, very much involved in business and politics. And he says, the thing that is, I'm so curious about is how come every time I bring up the Laffer Curve, most people in a middle income and low income families know nothing about the Laffer Curve. They know the concept, but they've never heard about the Laffer Curve, which is a big part of what President Reagan took that concept and said, hey, what if we did this? The whole meeting that you had with, what was it, Donald Rumsfeld and Dick Cheney, and you took the napkin and you drew it out to them, and then that is now, is it at the Smithsonian? It is at the Smithsonian. It's at the Smithsonian. Oh, God. come on, yes. Yeah, that is insane to me. So It's what, insane to me, it's too. It's totally insane. Next to Milton Friedman's briefcase. 
Oh my gosh! <laughs> Are you cool. serious? Is that not way I gotta cool? I go just to see. Like, yes, I love going to the Smithsonian because it's a unique place to go. We used to go every year Fourth of July just to go and yeah, I'd love take the all my guys. Too. It's just wonderful. It's a it's a unique place. Okay, and I'm a big Milton Friedman guy. And Tom Me too. Soul. So so big. I I if 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 I want to be. Well, I got a letter here from Tom Soul that you will love. Yeah, a letter here from yeah, Tom Soul. Yeah, he's about to come Reason. up with a new book, right? Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 Thomas, he, his brain. The he's way just you terrific. Like, I've known him forever. The brain uh, just wonderful. Is, okay. And such a fine man besides. Yes. And shy. Did you, did you, oh, really, he's shy. He is shy. He's not Thomas one who's just running shy. for the for the cameras I and the microphones and stuff. No, he's a very shy, uh, self-effacing huh. person. He's just a lovely, lovely man. Interesting. And well, a great economist. Yes. And by the way, his brain is still as sharp as it was. So it's not like he, he still has it. He's still. It still terrifies me. Yes. <laughs> Don't get in an argument with so, Tom Saul. <laughs> so, Arthur, this is what I like yes. to do. And I want to just prepare what I like to do. Anything that I study, I like to study all opposite sides. So I don't like to just go read everything. For instance, I read everything with, you know, Communist Manifestos, you know, uh, Rules for Radicals. I read everything. Good. I want to know opposing arguments. And I push my own arguments because that's what helps me either find a kink in my argument or to find, helps me make my argument even stronger. Okay? Sure. So why don't you, Mario, if you can come around over here to try to get this part. And obviously we'll put the visual on there for you guys to see as well. Why don't you take a second with this pen and just kind of show us what is the Laffer Curve? Well, the Laffer Curve really simply is a relationship between tax rates and total revenues. Okay. Now there are two effects tax rates have on total revenues. One is if you raise tax rates, you collect more revenue per dollar of tax base. But when you raise tax rates, you make that activity less attractive and you shrink the tax base. So I call it the arithmetic effect and the economic effect. Okay. And these two effects always work in opposite directions. Now at 100% tax rate, if every time you went to the office instead of getting a check, you got a bill. How long would you work? Not very long. Sure. So we start off here. Let's just do tax rates here and tax revenues here. Okay. At 100%, there'll be zero tax revenues. Zero here. Okay. You with me? So this is 100% tax rate. This is 0% tax rate. No, this is zero revenues. Zero okay. revenue? Yep. And now okay. at 0% tax rate, you may work like mad, okay, but there'll be no revenues either. Obviously, you're not... There's no tax rate on what you earn. No so, revenue to the government? Or yeah, no, no revenue to the government. No revenue to, to the government. government. Yeah, I want to okay. be specific. Okay. Now, when you start off at 100% tax rate, let's say we start lowering the tax rate. Yeah. What will happen is every, all of a sudden, a couple people start making 1%, 2%, whatever. Yes. And you'll see some of them starting to work, and the government will start collecting revenues. And as you keep lowering the rate, they go until you hit a point where all of a sudden the arithmetic effect uh, starts to dominate the economic effect. This is the economic effect okay. coming here. And all of a sudden you come back down to where the curve comes back to zero. Now, okay. the shape of this curve can be anything, but it connects there this way. This is a pedagogic device to really see that the two effects tax rates have on total revenues. Now, what you notice here, which is sort of cool, is there are two tax rates, okay? There are two tax rates where you collect the same revenue. There's a high tax rate in the prohibitive range, and there's a low tax rate, which has a large base with a low rate, and this one has a, a small base with a high rate, and they're the same. Why would you ever want to be in this range? You never would. Mm -hmm. Okay, you're hurting it. Do you so, actually know the specific number here? No, no, this is a pedagogic device. This okay. is illustrative. Yeah, I do in the econometrics, and we find all sorts of shapes of curves, and there's a whole huge well, academic I'll, I'll literature. Ask that, I'll ask that but, it, but it's a whole academic literature. But, but just the point is here, there are tax rates that are so high that if you lower them, you actually collect more revenues. 
Or if you don't collect more revenues, you get maybe you get less revenues, but you get welfare payments go down and the budget gets, okay. you know, they're just all sort of, and this is what it is. And what I tried to take this curve to show Don Rumsfeld and Dick Cheney, who was my classmate at Yale, I want to show them that the whip inflation. Both of them? No, no. <laughs> Rumsfeld did not go to college. Well, he went to Princeton. We Which don't is consider that a college. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, but what, it, what I tried to show them with the whip inflation now, the 5% tax surcharge, you may get more revenues, but you'll not get 5% more. You may get 4% more, whatever, but there will be some base effect there, and you might even lose revenues. So, and that's where I went and did that with them at the W Hotel in Washington. It was called the Washington Hotel back in the olden days. Oh, once again, what's this? This is revenues. This is revenues. This is tax rates. Sorry, my handwriting here. This is tax rates. So if tax rates are 50%, hypothetically? Well, just in this illustration. Right. It may be way down here. In fact, I would believe. Would you be okay if I get a little specific with you? Sure, let's okay. get specific. Let's get specific here. Okay, uh, you read the paper, Mario. Uh, yeah, you read the paper uh, of, uh, I think it was David and Christina Romer from UC Berkeley, I want to yeah, say, I, that they I wrote in that. 2008 or 2007. It was a 782-page paper that she wrote. And in the article was about finding out at what rate that wasn't the whole uh, uh, purpose of it, but at what rate does the motivation to produce go away? Okay, so I asked Jerry Springer a few weeks ago for himself. You know, he himself leans He's in. From Cincinnati, He's from Cincinnati. He's from Cincinnati. He was a former mayor of Cincinnati for yep. one year. And so, yes, he was. So, so, so when, you, when I asked him, You're I said, You're not as dumb rate. as I look. <laughs> <laughs> so I asked him, I said, at what rate would you lose motivation? The way I asked the question was, not the 2018 Jerry Springer. I'm talking about the 1990 Jerry Springer because his sure. series started in 1991, so he hadn't made a millions yet. What is too much tax? Or he says, I don't know, I'm in 95%. So Jerry, you wouldn't work for 95%. I just don't know. So I want to know, and this is what I want to know. I'm in California, and we're uh, having uh, food uh, on Sunday at this restaurant, and one of the girls whose picture used to be on the, what do you call those things, the bench? Bench advertising? Is that yeah, what you call it? Bench yeah, buses. Okay. So her picture is everywhere in San Fernando Valley. Everywhere. And so she's having lunch with her husband. And I asked her, I said, listen, I don't see your face on the benches anymore. And this is what she said. It's her and her two kids. She says, honestly, this is what happened. I said, what happened? She said, one day my husband and I made a decision. I was making $200,000 a year as a realtor. Okay. And I was paying 57% in taxes with everything that was going on in the state of California. My time, she wasn't at 57, give or take somewhere around there. And she said, my husband and I made a decision and says, I'm working this hard to make 200, to keep 90 of it or whatever the number was. And we decided what's more important, this or me being a stay-at-home mom. We just decided we downsized our life and I became a stay-at-home mom because I lost the motivation to want to make money. She's right. Okay, perfect. So, but I want to be as close to specific as possible. No one's been able to give this answer to me. I am sitting with PhD of economics, yeah. and I want to see how close we see, can you're get gonna, to it. You're going to get I a fuzzy know. a little bit, I, but let me just tell you, the, the, the one guy is an Australian economist, but it, for the economy as a whole, not for this lady or you or me, or, but when you take all of them, the optimal tax rate, something in the range of 10 to 12 percent on a flat rate based tax, where you tax everything at the same rate, no deductions, no exemptions, no exclusions. Is that sustainable? Oh yeah, that is sustainable. That would be something that would last. It, if, you, if you go back to the Mukwadima uh, with Ibn Khaldun, you got that same type of number coming out. If you look at all the biblical references to tithing, it's 10%. You know, that's, that, that's what sort of historically has been, quote, the optimal tax over the 
thousands of years. 10 or 12 percent. You know, a very low number. And what it does allow for is the long-term effects. Now, just remember, if I raise your taxes tomorrow to 90 percent, I'll probably collect a lot more money. But two years from now, I won't, because you'll change your behavior. Of course. If I do the corporate tax at 35%, you know, companies will shelter their income. They'll, there'll be tax evasion. Offshore Offshore. You got it. There's evasion, avoidance, underground right. economy. The IRS claims that something like 15 to 18% of all taxes owed are not paid. So if you count all of that in there as well, it's a very low number. And it works. And Christina uh, and Paul Romer, I mean, their paper probably was one of the single best papers showing how tax rates really changed the incentives to produce. That paper, I don't know how she possibly did her job with Obama. I just don't know, I just don't know how, because her whole economics was just the opposite. Her paper was foundational on how tax rates incentivize people and create economic growth. She's a Reagan Republican, whether she claims it or not. She economically, she well, is. Well, that's all I'm talking. Yeah. That's all I'm talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not talking about anything else. No, I'm with. Okay, so 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 here's what you're saying. I, I want to really understand it. So what you're telling me is, an optimal tax rate that is sustainable for the government to use to provide me proper roads, proper uh, uh, military. No, no, I'm talking just federal. Okay. If you do state and local, you probably get it at 17 percent, something like that. Oh, so you're saying 10 or 12 federal. And you're saying another, another seven. five to seven yeah, percent. Yeah, state and local states. taxes are about seventy percent of federal taxes. So you'd say you know maybe twenty percent total for all of it. Now, when I did it with Jerry Brown, I did his flat tax when he ran for president in '92. Uh, we took the low rate broad based flat tax of personal unadjusted gross income and value added, and we had a thirteen percent rate. Is that what he pitched? Yeah, he almost won. Jerry Brown pitched a thirteen. Jerry Brown, flat the tax. Jerry Brown, um, my guy. I mean, he's a great, great person. He changed. No, he really didn't. He's in a very tough position as governor of California. He doesn't control the state. I mean, the California Teachers Association, as you know, is You sound like a friend talking right now. You sound like you're you're favoring your friend. I am. You're giving a political answer. Okay, so I'll skip that. Let let me, let me, I I am. Because economically, California is losing two people. Without him, without him, we would not have gotten Prop 13 passed. Without him, we would have not gotten the GAN spending limit. Without him, we would not have indexed the personal income tax, got rid of the business inventory tax. Uh, you know, he was amazing, and I worked with him very closely. And was. I just think the whole, yeah, he's an older man now. Yeah, okay, so, <laughs> so, so what you're saying on the flat tax. The 13.3% is outrageously high. That, yeah, if I, that's I'm what you want, you thank said you. Okay. Yes, okay, I don't so think that was what he had dreamed of. That, then fair but, enough, then I'm, and I'm okay with that. So, no, because 57 and a half, I mean, what mean 57% in the state of California making seven figures out and people say, well, then why is Silicon Valley doing so well if California's Because it's a non-taxable form. So, so then. Capital gains. So then if this is what you say, is sustainable for a government to sustain a number I like this so. at 20%, why hasn't it happened? Well, because there are a lot of other things going on. While it's sustainable for government in totality to do it, one guy may find a separate tax rate better for him. Let's say we have the 20%, it's perfect. But now I can negotiate with you as a politician to put in a bill that lowers my tax rate to 15%. Everyone else pays 20 and I get a little bit of advantage, and then someone else does it, and they do a political process. And what you have is a political process that literally with all the favor grabbers, lobbyists, all the deductions, exemptions, exclusions, you get all these people that put all this garbage inside the tax bills, and no longer does someone sit up there and say, this is the best for society. They're all trying to nibble out their own pieces, and this is called the, the tragedy of the commons. 
Each person is better off by lowering his tax rate and not paying the same as everyone else, but the system gets destroyed in the process. And the problem is, if I may say, and just here, just the problem is that politicians aren't spending their own money. Uh, the problem is they're spending your money and they don't have the constraints that you know. So my solution to that is, I think we ought to put politicians on commission. You know, if GDP grows at 3%, you get your salary, Mr. Politician. If it grows at 4%, you can double your salary. 5%, you can triple your salary. 2%, you don't get any salary. And 1%, you owe us the money back. If they had to bear the consequences of their own actions, we could get that 20%. Well, that can't happen because even corporations, it's like saying, uh, well, if we do that, why don't we do that with corporations who do that and they're getting a salary when the market tanks. So that argument would come back with the, because- Unfortunately, so, they, yeah. they're voting their own salary, so they obviously don't want it to go Partially, down. Partially, I agree with you, but also like, you know what I agree when I talked to Mayor Maso, Frisco, the city grew from 5,000 people in 1992 population to 172,000 people today. And I said, what's your salary? He said, I was making $500 a month. As a mayor of Frisco, three terms, and that market grew into, attracting all these uh, companies there. So, yeah, I, I, don't, I, know. I, I don't know about politicians making it as a salary thing, uh, but yeah. that's a whole different story. But you got to make them be responsible for their actions in a very direct way. So let me, I'm, I'm with you. Okay. One hundred, because of course, it's like the tenure with teachers, a teacher can get exactly fired. Exactly right, the but te teachers should not have tenure. You, 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 and good teachers should be paid more than bad teachers. Hundred And they are not paid that way. I think they are Merit also pay. underpaid. I think the greatest teachers should have the ability to make hundred, hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. It depends on what they're doing. Some of them are way overpaid and some of them are underpaid. You know, there are a lot of lousy teachers the in the system. The current is not an efficient comp plan to produce competition for one teacher yeah, to do better Yeah, but you don't have one salary. See, that's the problem. I mean, everyone is attracted to a high salary, good people and bad people. Yeah. All right, so high salaries aren't the, actual, the thing. What you want to do is make sure good ones get a high salary and poor ones don't. Okay, so let me ask you, and, and we still haven't asked this one. Okay. Have you done the research and the study? I know you read everything. Anything that has to do with this topic, you have to read because you're in the world, right? So, so let me ask you, have you done your studies to see this person said this, that person said this, this person said this? At what rate have you done your research to say, I think at this tax rate, people lose motivation, federal and state combined. I have done it a lot on states. Uh, I've done a huge amount of Prop 13, as you may know. Mm -hmm. I did the of economic course. stuff there. Yep. I've probably done 20 state tax reforms, so I've looked at these data. I've got the book, the only one, The Wealth of States, which is the compilation of all state and local taxes and incentives and growth. And, you know, you can see all of these things. I think what I can tell you honestly is that for total taxes, we're way above and we're up in the upper range of that Laffer curve. For total taxes, okay. we need to bring total taxes Any down. Any state, uh, pretty much every state. Maybe not Tennessee. I mean, we have the lowest taxes here in the nation, as, as you probably know, and we probably have the largest surplus in the nation. We have the best improvement in education and teach uh, schools. We have wonderful public services. Uh, we have the fastest growth in the nation. I mean, we have the best credit rating in the nation. We, our pension funds are fully funded here, and we have the lowest tax rate. You cannot balance a budget on the backs of the poor, the unemployed, or people who leave your jurisdiction. So that's why I came to that phrase that you liked, you can't tax an economy into prosperity, nor can a poor person spend himself into wealth. That's not the way it works. And this state is a classic example of the counterexample of Illinois, the counterexample of, of Wisconsin, of Michigan, of Massachusetts, of, of um, Connecticut, of New Jersey, I mean, West Virginia, Kentucky, the, 
this is the exact opposite of those states. So, so you said the number that we have today is pretty close to being above the Laffer curve where the motivation goes away. So, well, it diminishes. Diminishes, sure. Yeah. So, would you s diminishes? It goes lower and lower and yeah, lower. Yeah, it yeah. Does, so, yeah. So, so let me ask you this: Is that forty percent? Is that thirty-nine percent? Is that thirty-eight? We're seeing higher thirties, upper thirties. You know, when you're talking right now, you're talking about total state and local taxes are probably thirty-seven. Uh, no, excuse me, about 45, 46%, something like that. 43. 43. Yeah. Uh, 43, And the marginal rates, you've got so many different little taxes all over the place. You're looking at total revenues. Uh, the taxes do a lot more damage than just the revenues they collect. They cause people to change their portfolios, change yep. their work habits. They hire lawyers, accountants, deferred income specialists, favor grabbers, lobbyists. All of this is wasted resources in the system. So when you look at those rates, they're way above what I think the society could have and be far more productive. And so I would like to see that 43, 44, whatever the rate is you think. Uh, at full employment, it should be about 46%, something like that, 45%. Uh, Any state, federal? No, that's state and federal. That's, that's both together. You're saying it should be around that number? No, that's where it is now. Uh, at full employment, that's where the number is. Got so it. we get a standard. But we can lower that rate quite substantially because a lot of the benefits in the tax rate reductions won't be in lost revenues. Most of the benefits will be people no longer will shelter their income so, so and all that. They'll pay their taxes fair and square and work. So here's a, here's a question to ask you. Um, what is the best argument you've heard against your argument? Well, all the arguments against my argument assume that if you raise tax rates, you increase revenues. Now, all the arguments for raising tax rates have all been, we need better schools, we need better roads. We, and I've done all the work on that as well on states. And if you look at states, those states that raise their taxes don't get better services. I mean, they just plain don't. Texas has much better educational system than California. Florida has a much better educational system than Illinois or New York. And there are zero income tax states. And the reason is, you know, kids do better when they go home to parents who have jobs. <laughs> Mm -hmm. You know, they, there's so much more to education than just the teacher's pay. And the teacher, California is, this is five years ago data, but I don't know the latest, but California teachers were the second highest paid teachers in the nation. And the student test scores on the NAEP scores were third lowest in the nation. Go figure! Wow. I mean, you know, you got to look, California Teachers Association is a failed experiment. It's horrible. California of the five large states is the worst performing state with the best benefits and everything for their teachers. And but who's the governor there in that state? I forgot. What's the I forget. Name? I, I think forget it was it. Pete Wilson. Yeah. <laughs> it was our, that, that um, Duke Majin guy. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Of course Let's it's Jerry Brown. Patrick, you know. Patrick Duke Majin is the yeah. guy who did it. These <laughs> Armenians, you know, we got to yeah. get rid there of these Armenians go. out there of California. Well, that's half of California, by the way. It's it's about to it's be. It's a large, weird. large Listen, share of we're California. also good at making babies. So, you know, Armenians, you keep making babies. Assyrians, you kind of need to make a little bit more babies because we don't have too many Assyrians. <laughs> okay, so fair enough. All right, so let me let me take it a, a different side now. I'm, I'm going to take over for all of you, by the way, just so you know. Six? Six. In a, so six. Keep, six is I'm got what's the oldest young? What's the difference age from the youngest? Oh, it's large. Old? It's large. The youngest is 34. The oldest is... Trisha was born in 1963, so that she's, uh, what, that's 37, 55. 18? 37, 55. Oh, okay, that's the difference. The 55 to 34, 
55 to 34, 20 years 20 difference, yeah. yeah, spread. I thought you were going to see you have a six-year-old kid, you know, no, walking no, around not, here no, like no. Trump, and I was going to say, wow, you know, really impressed by these stats that you have here, but that, that's okay. So, so let, let's, <laughs> let's go to this. Let's go to this. So today, okay, you know, you look at some people's arguments say, well, look, of course our Arthur's going to say this, and of course Trump is going to support the Laffer curve, and of course you know, you know that, twi that tweet that Ar uh, Trump came out and what did he say? He says, Arthur Laffer said today that he doesn't understand why Democrats wouldn't support a tax reform like this. I don't know the exact verbiage, yeah, that's but what he said. something like that he said on I'm Twitter. I'm shocked. Yeah. Because I, you know, our tax bills were all Democrats back in the same people. I mean, and Biden voted for Reagan's tax cut, 86 tax act. So did Al Gore, so did Alan Cranston, so did uh, Teddy Kennedy, so did Bill Bradley. They all voted for lowering the rate to 28%. What's with that? Yep, so here's- well, No, it's politics. So here's a follow-up, uh, you know, yeah, it's politics. And sometimes, I think the biggest challenge is what you and I were talking about when I said, you know, uh, Arnold got elected and then he changed and he said, you know, we're doing this or, you know, senior got elected. We will not tax another, raise taxes, and then boom, taxes goes up 5%. What, so you see some of these changes happen and you lose your loyal following that you have. But this is my question to you. And I'm really curious to know what your answer is going to be. I've heard all of them. I've heard many of them. I'm curious to know what you're going to say. I think say. I have too. <laughs> yeah, I wanna, I'm, I'm curious to know what you're going to say. So, okay, fair enough, Dr. Arthur Laffer, PhD, Stanford, Yale, all these things that you've done. Excellent. How about the poor people in America that don't have the money, that need help, that need some welfare, that need some, you know, uh, uh, social security, that correct, need to have that. Correct question. How do, how do, you, how do you address that? I'm going to just give them? you the Kennedy quote on this, because Kennedy was a supplier who cut taxes. The best form of welfare is still a good high paying job. And what you want to do is create that economic growth that brings people back into the labor force, they get the skills. I look at the inner cities today and, and I'm just, I want to cry. It's just tragedy beyond belief. I mean, you look at Ferguson, you look at Watts, you look at some of these other areas, the south side of Chicago where I live most of my life. And you sit there and say, how do you help them? So I wrote something in early 70s called Enterprise Zones, which I took these areas that were exceptionally and made it zero income taxes, made it no payroll taxes. For anyone who is a resident of that area, who is employed in a firm in that area, there's no payroll tax up and there's no income tax layup of $50,000. We get rid of the minimum wage, which I called, and I've been called out on this, but it is. It's the Black Teenage Unemployment Act, for God's sakes. These kids don't have the skills to make 15 bucks an hour. After being unemployed for a year or two, uh, they become, they, they don't ever get those skills. After being unemployed, they then become hostile, and then you gotta protect yourself from them. This is a, a spiral that's a how death spiral. How do you spiral. fix that though? I mean, well, I get you the do, zero just like what I'm telling you. But how do you get skills in those enterprise zones? You do skills. it by getting, you know, you don't get skills unless you get paid for having those skills. The reason these high schools and these things and teachers don't work is if these kids came out and could get jobs with their skills, yeah. they'd get the skills immediately. But if they come out with all these skills and they have nothing, they don't have any problems getting back to basketball skills. None of that, because there's a job waiting right there for them. They get all these things. The thing is you need to attract them. And the way you attract them is if you do your mechanical engineering or machine shop stuff work, you get a good job when you leave high school, believe me, they'll do it. But if they walk out with all these machine things, skills, and they still are unemployed and they sit there in the ghetto forever, it, they're not gonna do it. And what we need to do is get a, 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 a cycle of, of success and prosperity. I worked with Rosie Greer on how to do that. He did the micro, hands-on, how you dress, how you talk, how you don't have the chains taken. And I did the other, trying to get the public policies that would bring these people back into the mainstream. And, you know, I, don't, I could get two guys to go along with me. Jack Kemp, 
who wanted to be black. He was a football player. He just and Ronald Reagan, who'd never met a black. And they both went along. I tried with Jerry Brown. I tried with all the Democrats doing the enterprise zones. I couldn't get any headway there. But with Reagan and with Jack Kemp, I did. We proposed enterprise zones. And then we got some minor minor enterprise zones legislation put in. But we What were must, the results? Uh, their results are always good. I mean, come on. If you have two locations, A and B, if you raise taxes in B and you lower them in A, producers and manufacturers are going to move from to, I'm not going over your head, I'm teasing you. That's, you make it so it's a tax free zone and people will bring their businesses in there and it'll lift that area out of the of the doldrums. You have to have two criteria though. Primary residence. How does that city sustain to have police and security and safety for but that business But they do it now owner? with no income. These guys aren't working now. There's no tax revenues coming out yeah, of you there. Gotta be able, cause you got to be able to also attract the business owner to say I'm going to move my family and kids Look in at, this area. Remember I'm using this illustrative. You may not make it to zero. Uh, you lower the, uh, the payroll tax 50%. You lower the income tax rate to 50% of what it is now. So you bring these businesses in so they find it attractive to bring their businesses in, to hire these kids, to get these kids on a path. The way I got the skills to earn above the minimum wage, I went to prep school. I went to an Ivy League college. Somebody I got my MBA. You made that with you, though. I got Somebody my can say everyone in your family went to Yale. So that argument can come back and say, come on, Arthur, I'm not, like, I don't have a four-year degree. I don't have a two-year no, degree. I got a one-point in GPA. So what I'm, what I'm trying, because I But that's how, how I, I did it. I need to make it so these kids can get the same right. opportunity I have. Look, all or at I'm, least a good one. I'm just trying to question to see if this is something that is, if there's a formula for it out there, why are we not putting the heads together and figure out a way to fix because those Because it's become so darn political. I don't know why it's that's true. It's almost as if it's necessary to have that in place, to have a rally cry to help get some people elected because if that goes away, what's the rally cry? They'd rather talk about bathrooms and gender than they would about good economics. They'd rather talk about, you know, all this. I had the worst time with Reagan, not with Reagan, but with the Reagan team when, I, when we won. Yeah. They didn't want them, uh, the, all the Reagan people wanted not to do the tax cuts. They said I was the biggest problem Reagan ever had. We were going to destroy the defense budget. Israel's going to go under. All these other things we had to do, ba 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 ba. I mean, because of my time. George Will wrote column after column against me. And you know, we did it. I had one guy, well, I had two guys on my side. George Soltz, and when he's on your side, you know you're right. And then Ronald Reagan, and when he's on your side, you know you win. And he put, and it worked. You know, and George Will apologized a decade later for all the stuff he said about me. But the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, the, there's a lot of forces against this. And they just haven't studied their economics. They don't understand incentives. So, so you and I talked about earlier, we said, very rarely do people change their politics at a later age, right? You rarely yeah. see, I mean, you saw when Trump well, yeah. went to a city, state, and a governor said, effective tomorrow, I'm no longer going to be your governor as a Demo Democrat, I'm going to be a Republican. Remember that, that whole well, thing? Justice did do that in West Virginia. Say, One example okay. in a million. Yeah, <laughs> so that rarely happens, yes. right? So what happened to Bruce Bartlett, uh, is it Bartlett? Uh, Bartlett. Bartlett, who was part of your team, part of the group, and... He switches and he says, I don't know about this trickle down. He calls, no, no, uh, now he's yeah. hostile to it. Yeah. Uh, the point is that Bruce Bartlett is one of the best team players ever in that if you read his book, Reaganomics, if you look at the stuff he did, world class, good research, solid, and especially for someone who's not credentialed like I am. I mean, he did it all on his own. It was spectacular. My guess is that, uh, that he, he didn't get the credit he deserved and he deserved a lot and he didn't get it. And it embittered him, and he was angry then for not having done that. You know, personal feelings and emotions. I got way more credit than I deserve, Patrick. I mean, you know, the Laffer Curve, and I'm on every magazine and all. And I, I don't deserve all that credit. Uh, but I get it, because that I'm Laffer. 
but you know, a lot of people who did a lot of work did not get the credit and they become embittered. I mean, look at Paul Krugman. I mean, Paul Krugman's a bitter guy. He's a nasty person. I mean, can you imagine him in his high school prom? I mean, he, he, you know, he's, he's got, but he, but he does, he, he's got a chip on his shoulder and he's, he is a good economist. I like him quite a bit personally, but you can tell he's, he, he's angry all the time he's angry. And this is not a world to be angry. This is a world to love your fellow economists, to love your fellow citizens, and all of us together trying to find the right solutions. And 50 years from now, I'm sure Laffer and supplies and economics will be supplanted by something better. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's been around for a while, right? Socrates, Plato, you know, all these debates of the, 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 whose philosophy is better and who got more limelight and who got more attention, what you, poet, what it's athlete, all what ego. this, it's ego. you know. So, so okay, so now let's, let's, go to, let's go to the other part. So right now, tax cuts that were announced, right? And uh, 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 you're looking at tax cuts for us. The day the tax cuts were announced, the following day, I gave cash bonuses to every single one of my employees, and here's how I did it. It was $100 per month you had been with the company. And I just gave them, and I explained to them why. The reason why I can give you this cash bonus is because of what happened right now with the tax cuts to the company, and I'm willing to pass that down to you. Here's $100 per the number of months you've been with us. 11 months, 1100 bucks. You've been with us five months, 500 bucks. And that happened, right? And so we're gonna get a taste of that next year. You're not gonna get it this year because you're still paying whatever the 17 yeah. numbers are. Okay, so if you are watching this, okay, this, someone's watching it right now, he wants to become an entrepreneur, okay? Yes. She wants to start her own business. Or I right now, I'm an executive, I'm an employee, and I don't really know what's going on, because you know a lot of time when it comes down to taxes, people think they kind of know what's yeah, going don't. on, but it's a but little bit technical, they don't really know. And it gets We're, technical really quickly. Very quickly, right? And confusing. And very confusing. If, if I know that these things are about to happen, and I have the opportunity to go take advantage of this the next three years, possibly seven years, six and a half years, whatever his timeline is going to be, if I were to do that, what, what feedback would you give to me knowing this is the current marketplace. Go take advantage of it. Go create some wealth for your own family. What advice would you give now, to Now, remember, everybody? I'm not an entrepreneur. I have my own business here, as you can see, and I, I was forced into it, but I'm basically an academic, so I, I'm not I an entrepreneur. I want to see from that perspective. Yeah, yeah, well, let me just tell you what I would do is I'd first place be very selective on what state I'm in. Uh, there are nine states with no earned income tax. Uh, that makes a huge difference, believe me. Texas, Florida, Nevada, Washington State, Alaska, uh, Wyoming, South Dakota, New Hampshire, uh, Tennessee, and Florida. I mean, these are the ones where you where booming. You see the skyscrapers all over here. Go to a place that's in a boom. Don't go to Illinois. Don't go to these other places that you're going to be drowned right at the beginning. And then get in a business where you know what you're going to pay, what you can do with it. And so you aren't making all your money like a rich person does through shelters and through all of that, but through you get it through real production. And that's the way I'd focus, to really align myself with the tax structure and the government spend. But don't live off uh, government grants and government hospital reimbursements. Get into a place where you're really selling a product that people want, not where you're trying to market it to a government employee. Uh, that's just my view of the world. Got I, it. Okay, here's the other question for you. So what about you know the person that's living in France Okay, they have access to YouTube. They can watch yeah, this kind do. of stuff. They you do. know, I go over you, there, and, and you have a lot of undercover people in the Middle East that watch Valuetainment, and so I do with Al Jazeera a lot. <laughs> there you go. So, for somebody that's in France, for somebody that's in Spain, for somebody that's in you know some countries in Europe that are considered socialistic society, et cetera. So I'm not even talking communism, Cuba. I'm just talking pure socialism. What feedback can you give to me, the person that's watching the saying, 
I really want to implement some of these concepts in business, but I'm living in this kind of a society. What feedback would you give them? Okay, I gave the talk at, in Bratislava, okay? Uh, and the thing I said to the students there, the government spending is 50%. It's a very small country. Uh, it's not doing well. And I said, get the hell out of here. If you're young and want to start a career, go to a place where the careers are up, can happen. If you hang here, you're just going to become the slave, the fodder for the system that's here. And the only way you can really do well in those places is be part of the political system that exploits everyone else. That's why I hate the EU. Not because I, I love the Europeans, but I, I'm so happy with Brexit. And I wish all of them would break because competition is as important among governments as it is amongst companies. So true. It is. And whenever you have governments colluding with each other, yeah. they are doing it to exploit yeah. and rip off the citizenry. So I dislike politicians cooperating with each other because once they cooperate, all they're doing is cooperating to new methods to exploit the citizens. So you would say My, leave? I would say leave or, or vote your country out of, the, out of the EU. But, you know, it's really terrifying. They're trying to get Ireland to raise its taxes. Why? Ireland is the one place that's doing so well. I, I tell everyone, do you know why everyone's investing in Ireland? Mm. Because the capital is always Dublin. <laughs> Sorry, I just did a little yeah, fun. You I, don't mind me having a little fun yes, with you. That, but it's true. The 12.5% corporate tax makes Ireland do well. Look at their recovery from the Great Recession. It's a magnificent. And they want them to raise the corporate tax. So, so okay, if I, for the same audience that's living in Spain, France, Europe, or... Spain is... It's tragic what's happening in Spain and Greece and... Former president other, left, and he's living in a whole different place. Yeah. Because of what's happening with taxes. What's so what books would you recommend me reading to learn these concepts in the simplest way possible? I'm not sure I'm good at that. I mean, the ones I sort of like it doing is uh, there's one by Jude Winnis. He called The Way the World Works. It's an old book. He's been dead for quite a while, but that's pretty good. Bob Bartley, The, the Seven Fat Years, which describes the Reagan Revolution and all the things. The Seven that, Fat Years. Yeah, my son didn't like the book back then. I, <laughs> he said, why? I said, son, why don't you like the book? He said, well, you're... You're prominently displayed in that book, aren't you? And I said, well, yes, I am. And, but why would you like? I said, Dad, would, did he name it that because you're a little overweight? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good son, to be that honest oh, with Dad, no, to live a well, long time. And I said, no. That, is that the oldest son? or is that No, the, that was the younger one. Okay. I have yes. two sons and Courage. four daughters. <laughs> Courage, dare. Is he an October but, baby? He uh, doesn't no, push he's back in June, bit. Uh, July, okay. June. Okay. They, um, but, uh, Those two books. They, they're great. There's Wealth and Poverty by, uh, by George Gilder. There are a bunch of other ones that are really, really good. Any characters to study online? Any interviews? Any videos? Anybody to watch and study? Well, th there are a number that I've done online. There are a number that uh, Steve Forbes has done online that are really good. There are a bunch of uh, people who are really, really good. I, I, I'm, I really don't want to mention because, frankly, then I'll be... Offending somebody that you left, that left off so the list. So let me ex What was your experience working with Milton Friedman? I loved it. I mean, he was great. Now, he and I were sufficiently different in age that we had very... I mean, many times we'd have debates or discussions that, uh, in fact, were really... We differed because of our ages. Now, did, what did he think about what's the best thing for professors? And he thought, uh, you know, he thought graduate students were the greatest things for professors because they, they if employ them and do all that. And I said, no, graduate students are awful. Now, the reason we disagreed was he was older and I was younger and the graduate students were my competitors next year. And they weren't his, you know, so it's really fun. Milton was just great in playing with ideas and doing things. I got a bunch of stuff here with Milton and I, I just loved him. Um, and we had a lot of fun. We had one episode that you may find fun. Uh, Bill and Pat Buckley, Milton and Rose Friedman and my wife and I, did a five-day tour, a cruise around on the Baja, California, just the three couples. And 
you know, it probably was two days too long, but it was really wonderful. Was it straight debate the entire time? Were you guys like well, yeah, having the conversation? Fun. Also was fun. it recorded? Was no, any part no, of it recorded? No, I don't think so. Got it. But it was fun. Uh, they're two wonderful people. Bill Buckley is just one of the dearest friends, and Milton Friedman as well. And yeah, um, uh, it was terrific in all sorts of discussions. And uh, I like those. Sometimes those are the best. With yeah, and then after the first hour, when you a little bit rigid yeah, yeah. stand off, it, then it goes, ah, oh, come on, yeah, I see your point. You know, and then it becomes a nice, good discussion. That's great. But Milton and Rose were just lovely, lovely people. And uh, uh, it just was terrific. And, and, of course, Bill and Pat Buckley, I've known. Now, my daughter was the publisher of the Yale Daily News at the, uh, in, in there. And of course, that's where Bill Buckley started. And so he goes in there and he sees my daughter there and he says, Rachel Laffer, Rachel Laffer, you aren't by any chance related to Arthur Laffer, are you? She said, yes, sir, he's my daddy. <laughs> you know, it just, it's just fun. And uh, Bill Buckley was, when I ran for the Senate, was the first person to endorse me. And, you know, it was just... The, he wrote a book called The Reagan I Knew. Is that what he... He wrote the yeah. book, a phenomenal book, by the way. I really enjoyed reading it. And I love uh, his debates with, is it Vidal? Him and Vidal, oh, and they would go at it. The, yeah. the movie of the, the Best of Enemies was, it was called, was biased. Uh, Bill Buckley did a lot better with Gore Vidal than that movie portrays sure. because yeah. the people who put it on had a very well, Of course, but you can go watch the actual interview and see how it went. So and no matter it, how the movie was, the real... And it also showed Buckley, listen, this cool a little bit. Yeah. You know what he said? You, you remember? I love the one, the firing line. Now, I was on firing line a number of times and with Bill. And, but we had one, uh, he was on with, with uh, Ronald Reagan. And they were great friends, as you know. Uh, and, uh, he was very close with his wife. Very yeah. close. Well, Pat with was Nancy. just terrific. Yeah. And Nancy. Well, yeah. Nancy was a, a, a different type of person, but he loved Nancy. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, they had like a very good friendship together. Yeah, no, they, 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 you know, he's. Bill Buckley was just entertaining as all. A very good friend. Um, but the, if you look at the interplay with Reagan and Buckley on the Panama Canal, you know, he said, of course, Reagan wanted to keep the Panama Canal and Bill Buckley wanted to get rid of it. And Bill Buckley said, you know, everyone has a right to be wrong. We all have a right to be wrong sometime. <laughs> and uh, it's perfectly understand your, this is Ronald Reagan's chance to be wrong. <laughs> he said, I am still anticipating the pleasure of finding the first time when I'm wrong. You see, that to me is. And he said, you know, what did you, what, what did, what did you expect with Bill Buckley today, uh, Mr. Reagan? And he said, well, I expect him to walk onto the state podium here and come over here and say, uh, you know, come right up next to me and say, you know, I've been wrong. You're right, Ronald. And he said, he didn't come close. He said, oh, no, I didn't because I'm afraid you'll be blinded by my illumination. <laughs> <laughs> and it goes on and on and on. You, you I love see it. the personality side of him in a complete different way. I don't think I've seen anybody like him on television. I don't think I've ever seen anybody like no, him on no, television. No, that's true. That's true. And what well, Reagan was also extremely good in that area. And people don't. Of course. Res well, of course. Well, we, you and I say, of course. But outsiders don't realize what an intellect Reagan was. Reagan wrote huge volumes. Every single day, write thousands of words, just the letters and it was content. a big letter writer. There's and, actually but, a book of all the letters he and his wife. Well, that was Marty Anderson's book, yeah. Reagan in His Own Hand. Yeah, fantastic book. There's I mean, more pictures of him writing letters than any other picture. Like there's, they, there was a stat about if you look up pictures of Reagan online, there's more pictures of him writing letters than anything else. That's right. That's amazing. Well, you've got, I've got tons of them over here. Yeah, and it's just loads of fun. I got some that he was pretty infurious with. <laughs> with furious. you. 
That's yes. great. Hey, is it is it up that we can see yeah, it or you no? You can see some of them. Yes, I didn't some put of all the of them. Ones you didn't put but, up? Well, but you know, let me just say that's why I never took a job with Reagan, because once you become an employee, then you you serve the employer. But as long as I was never an employee, he couldn't fire me. I, I thought I liked what Milton Friedman one time said when they asked him, they said, oh, so Mr. Friedman, how come you never run for office? You, you remember his answer? No. He said, because I love being irresponsible. He says, if I run for office, all of you are going to hold me accountable to everything I say, and I don't want that life. I like being irresponsible every day, which I thought was pretty interesting. Last, well, one last one. Can me. I do one? Buckley, when he ran for mayor of New York, they asked him, sir, what is the first thing you do if elected? He said, demand a recount. <laughs> Go ahead. I, I, I just I took you off here. <laughs> that's hilarious. Isn't it a riot? It is hilarious. You see, that's that's the stuff that you got to love about Bill some Buckley. of these That's guys. why I loved him. So, last question. Yes, sir. Historically, we go Republican, we go Democrat. We go Republican, we go Democrat. We go Republican. For the last 40, 50, I can't say historical because the first Republican was what? You know, uh, uh, Lincoln, Lincoln. And prior to that, we were Federals. We have all these. Yeah. But let's just say the last 50 years, okay? You know, uh, 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 JFK, then you go the other side, then you go this side, then you go Senior, then you go Clinton, then you go uh, W, then you go, you know, yeah. Obama, then you go Trump. So if I'm studying trends and I'm a stockbroker, which is, I'm, you know, Series 7 license. So if I'm looking at numbers and I'm saying, you know what, when I look at this and typically every eight years or four years, this is what happens to the market. And I'm going to try to put some kind of a formula to, you know, you cannot predict the future. But sometimes when you look at data from the past, you can say there's some things here that leads me to performance is no guarantee. Indicative of future results. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, But if you look at that and you see what's going on, let's just say if these trends are right, in the next six and a half years, or in the next two and a half years, we're gonna have a Democrat president, okay? Let's just say, if this is right. And let's just say if that happens, a few candidates that are out there, obviously we have the celebrity names that you keep hearing about, which is great marketing, you know, Oprah or Rock or some of these names that come up, which is great. But let's look at some of the other names. Joe Biden, you know, he went out. If he would have ran, he could have actually had a shot of beating See, Trump. He, vote, he voted for Reagan's bill in 86. That's, that's right. So let's just say we have Biden. So Chris Dodd. But, but there's another one that's creating a lot of momentum, Elizabeth Warren. And if Elizabeth Warren was to get elected, odds are taxes are going to go probably the highest it's been in a long time. It will be in the 60s, right? If that were to happen, how dramatically, if an Elizabeth Warren gets elected, how dramatically do you think taxes would change if she were to get elected? If she were and if she is the same as, if she were to become the same as she is now, Today? then it'd be a real problem. I would not want to invest in the U.S. Me. That's my, yeah. by the way, no guarantee in my statements. But what I think you're missing in the question is when the next president comes in, what will that president, let's say it's a Democrat, but Bill Clinton wasn't very different from Ronald Reagan. He wasn't. So what you find is that once you get a, a game changer, like Trump is, or like Reagan was, or like Jack Kennedy, you'll find other people emulating them, even if it's the other party. So I would say the best combination of all is Reagan-Clinton or Margaret Thatcher uh, and Tony Blair. I mean, they're the same, even though they're opposite parties, the policies were the same. And that's what I'm expecting happening, that Trump, I believe, will change the way we look at politics, the way we look at economics for maybe the next decade or two. So I am very enthusiastic about the long term because yeah. I think Trump has taught the Democrats not to be the old Democrats of redistribution, slow growth, high taxes, silly stuff. Doesn't mean that the, uh, the Bernie Sanders and the uh, Elizabeth Warrens aren't hanging around. But I would be very surprised if the next nominee out of the Democratic Party isn't a pro-growth Democrat.
You'd be very okay. surprised. I think it's going to be. I don't think it's another redistribution well, I, I think, coming I down think the Kasich's line. I think going to run as an independent <clears throat> next two and a half years. And this leads me to the last question that's part of this is do you think we're getting closer to a time where we may have an independent president, somebody in the middle get elected, or we're not there yet? You could, but you, you don't want someone in the middle. You, <laughs> let me, it's, and again, please, it's in economics now. Remember, I'm not Purely talking about- economics. I'm not pure, talking no, social. No, I'm not talking yeah. social at all. You can do anything you want yeah. there. But when you add in a column of numbers, there's only one answer. You don't have a left-wing answer, a right-wing answer, oh, let's do an average in the middle. No, there's one answer. Everything else is wrong. Economics is math. And what you need is math to recognize that people respond to incentives. And it's a Democrat or Republican. It can be Kennedy or Clinton. I voted for both of them. I thought they were terrific presidents. I never let my daughter intern in that White House, though, let me tell you. But Smart. they were terrific presidents, but Reagan was too. And Trump is doing a damn good job on economics. Now, everything else you can say about Trump, that's not my turf. But economics, that bill is probably the best bill in the first term of any president I've ever seen. Really? It's amazing. Ever. Now. The 86 Tax Act was the best act ever. Do you know what the vote was in the Senate on the 86 Act? We dropped the highest rate from 50% to 28, cut the corporate rate from 46 to 34, went from 14 tax brackets to two but tax brackets, got rid of all the deductions, exemptions, exclusions. That's what we did. Cut them all, okay? Vote in the Senate, 97 to three. You got Teddy Kennedy voted for it, Bill Bradley voted for it, Joe Biden voted for it, they all did. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. My next door neighbor, who's one of my dear friends, I did the blurb on his new book uh, called The Future. Uh, he lives right on Linwood with me, a guy named Al Gore. He told me that he voted for that bill and it was the best bill in economics ever. If you go back and read what Schumer said about the 86 Act or what, uh, what Harry Reid said or what all Dick Durbin said, I could have written their press releases. Because mm. they know it's math. They know that you don't. If you tax rich people and give the money to poor people, you're going to get lots and lots of poor people and no rich people. It's as simple, it's not, as Larry Gatlin says, it ain't rocket surgery. It's math. Now, it's just trying to figure out a way to get that message in the simplest way possible to get to the people that need to hear it. That's the biggest challenge. That is, that's what yeah. I spent my life doing. Yeah. And they don't have a lot of time for you. If you can't do it in, you know, five minutes, you know, you can't sit there and do the math. I mean, you got the attention, uh, 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 Span right now is what, according to Time Magazine, dropped from 12 seconds to 8 seconds. <laughs> okay. It's about to be 5 seconds is what they were saying by 2029 or some number like that. There you go. We went from 12 seconds to 8 seconds to 5 seconds. If you don't get my attention, you lose it. So, uh, uh, Dr. Arthur Laffer, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for opening your office for us to come and spend some time with you and kind of get clear on what your thoughts are about the economic system we have today, taxes, the Laffer curve, all of it. Thanks so much for your time. You're always welcome in my office. Really appreciate Thank it. Thank you Thank so you. much. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And by the way, if you haven't already subscribed to Valuetainment on iTunes, please do so. Give us a five-star. Write a review if you haven't already. And if you have any questions for me that you may have, you can always find me on Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. Just search my name, Patrick Bidavid. And I actually do respond back when you snap me or send me a message on Instagram. With that being said, have a great day today. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.